0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast with the one, the only, Paul Thomas Anderson on the Ringer Podcast Network. This is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. On NBA tickets, use promo code BSNBA. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air podcast. I made a stop by on there last week to talk about Kobe. He had an awesome year for us. I urge you to subscribe to it. Uh, Lots of interesting conversations. If you like some of the interesting conversations we've had here, he's had a ton of them on that podcast. Check that out. and Also, check out One Shining Podcast where Mark Titus, Tay Frazier, and I tried to figure out the 12 college basketball schools that should just be better, that should be awesome at college basketball. This is really fun. We had to split it into two parts. You should be subscribing to their podcast anyway. But if you're not, check that one out. It's a really good one. It's a fun one for the holidays. Coming up, Ringer Editor in Chief Sean Fennessy, the one and only Paul Thomas Anderson. Here we go. All right, I'm here with Paul Thomas Anderson. First time ever on the podcast. I've been waiting forever. I knew it was going to happen at some point. Sean Fantasy here as well, editor of The Ringer. Hello. He's way more excited than he seems. He tries to play cool. I'm playing it cool. real cool. I'm he, saw, he saw Phantom Thread twice. He went to a screening two weeks ago, and then I went on Monday, and mm-hmm. Sean was there again. You ran it back.
1: I did. And it, nobody's seen it?
0: this. You kind of hid it for a while, right?
2: Well, we just finished it two, yeah. two, uh, right two weeks ago. So um, it's been hidden until then, yeah.
0: So when you say just finish it, are you talking about just like the tail end of it, or was there actually real things you were trying to fix?
2: No, the, the actual, in terms of fixing anything, we gave up on that like months ago, because you need to make your decisions about yeah. what the film's going to be as you go into mixing it and as you cut the negative of the film. So those kind of choices had been made, you know, in, in late August, early September, we'd kind of decided, but the actual proper like just drudge of finishing it, like, you know, mixing it and getting the film prints and doing the color timing and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's kind of occupied every space all the volume of our day has been occupied with just like technically finishing the film until a couple days before we had our premiere, which uh, that that run
1: at the Arrow and the final. Yeah, I was there on did. the first night. Was it a mad dash?
2: No, no, no. It, we knew we were going to make it, and we scheduled it within an inch of its life. So, every, so we kind of <laughs> knew like we'd be all right. Do yeah. you?
0: When did you reach the point where people just left you alone with these movies? Because I know Boogie Nights was. Um, you know, obviously you're 27 at that point and mm -hmm. they're, they're meddling all the time. But when, when did the meddling stop?
2: Um, after, right after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a success and I went to work again with New Line and Mike DeLuca, who was running the studio at the time and they, and you know, they were like, you know, just go ahead and do your work and, um, and when they said that, and when they when there was a sort of feeling that you weren't going to get messed with, somehow the collaboration became even more, um, more sweet. You yeah. know? And you then you then you start looking for people's um, opinions. Because yeah, you want to do right by them.
0: But you said that exactly. like You almost you almost wish somebody had been more with Magnolia, right? You have like conflicted thoughts after. Well, that was like it.
2: exactly the first time that somebody says, "Okay, go ahead and do what you want," and I think that there were two things at work there. Number one, there was a rush to finish it. And I was, I wasn't skilled enough at that time to realize like, okay, what I would do now is like, let's stop, stop for a week. Don't do anything that has anything to do with this movie and come back and look at it. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, you look at it even, even after a few days, but it should be more, it should be like a week. And you can kind of see it just, like, at a wider angle. And you start going, my God, we've got... It. When you're in the thick of it, you know, you really can't find your way out. And I think that happened a little bit on Magnolia. but You know, and no, I, I don't really mean I change anything. Because you want it to kind of be preserved from that right. time. Your vision. But certainly, I think, um, yeah, three hours and 15 minutes is a tiny bit too long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Writing's kind of like that, too, right? Sometimes... You tell me. Well... Sometimes when you're so deep into it, you just kind of lose sight. I remember when I my book was too long, mm-hmm. um, probably longer than Magnolia, since it was like 700 pages. But mm-hmm. um, I hit a point writing that when I was just in too deep, I couldn't see it anymore. And it was like this giant jigsaw puzzle that I was the only one who knew what the pieces were. Yeah. And they didn't even necessarily make sense in some ways, but nobody else could have helped me with it. Yeah. And I'm sure Magnolia was probably like that a little
2: bit, right? I suppose to a certain extent. I mean I yeah, I mean it was really my editor Dylan and I together in that yeah, editing you know, room. We still and, have that. and we, we had that. We 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 had that relationship um, going and but also, it's, it's, it's probably sort of it, it maybe a bit of ego at the time where you just think, no, 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 that's no, precious. Or you're nervous, you, you, you like the state it's in and you get nervous about taking, removing any piece of it for fear, a false fear, that it all may crumble. Yeah. But that's, just, that's like too precious. And that, I think, I think, kind of went away when we started to get into the next film. It was just like, right, okay, I think I realized some things that I did that were good and something that were bad. How can we just, like, shake it up and make sure this doesn't... That you just keep moving on. But that writing thing, I know that really, really well. And it's painful, you know. You really want somebody to come throw you a life preserver, don't you? Sometimes you're like, just somebody rescue me from this. But it's like, un,
0: It becomes unhealthy if yeah. it, at, at a certain point. Like, how long was the original Boogie Night script? It was, it
2: was like and, a hundred and... couple, maybe 160, 70 pages, something like that. But I think it got down pretty quickly. How long was Phantom Thread? Not long not long uh, uh, I don't even remember 110 115
1: it's your shortest film in a long time sure it sure is was that a was that purposeful
2: no um, it we, there wasn't enough there to support a longer movie it was it's the, the the shape of it was gonna gonna be like this should be like, between ninety minutes and two hours, and I knew ninety minutes was a bit of a stretch, yeah. Because of the way I thought something should play out, but two hours was what we were aiming at, and they were just over that. It's like two oh eight or something like that. But I went into it knowing nothing. I like
0: it's zero. New, Had you seen the trailer? Or my any? new strategy with movies is I don't want to know anything. That's I want great... to sit down and I just want to like take me where I'm where I'm supposed to go. But, so I knew Daniel Day Lewis was in it. And I knew um, it was set in the past. And other than that, I avoided everything. And you, it was
2: really good to to do that. Well, do you, is that strategy that you have born out of just how much fucking blubbery information is coming at you yeah, all think, the time? So you've kind of created like...
0: Well, think about it. If you go on a date, if you go on your first date with somebody...
1: And this both, is a tricky first date movie. I just want to put that out
0: there. <laughs> like a I think it's a tricky 10th date movie. Um, if you go on a date and somebody told you, here's what's going to happen in the date, and here's what's going to happen yeah. in the first hour, she's going to say this, and then, I don't know, you lose something. I, I really like, I avoid trailers. I hate trailers. Yeah. I I try not to read reviews until after I've seen the movie. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's just what I've settled on. I don't know if it's right or wrong.
1: Is but. that what you want as a filmmaker? You're pretty secretive.
2: Well, I don't know if we're secretive. I mean, well, two things. For, first, I, I can't help, I realize, back to that, thing, I can't help but think, you're, it's like, you're, you've got, it's great, I think, what you're doing, but it's like a natural reaction to, like, too much information coming at you, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's like, if you, if I, look, if I hear, like, Greta Gerwig wrote and directed a movie and it's called Lady Bird, I'm in i don't that's it that, that, you know and that's that's kind of but on the other side of that is how do you going to find those things that doesn't have her name to it you have to count i suppose on somebody on coming across a trailer
0: you have to run your own multimedia website and trust the people that write for it that yeah. tell you things like, well exactly in our, <laughs> like, yeah I, that's the thing i have adv- real advantages like ladybird i stayed away everyone's like you got to see this i'm like Okay. Right. I thought Greta Gerwig was in it. I had no idea she just wrote, right. directed it, and stayed out of the camera. So it was kind of thrilling to watch. I had no
2: idea it was going to be. I that still good. haven't seen it. So that, yeah, I won't tell you anything. Yeah. Um, but wait, what, what did we say? We said something well, you, are,
1: but do you try to maintain oh, a like an of mystery around that?
2: Um, t- it's a delicate thing because you know, there's like, if you don't say anything about something that you're working on, that can somehow be misconstrued as mysterious when it's just really like do not disturb still under construction mm-hmm. is that actually the sign that's on the door I think going back to that I think there's too much I I kind of get I, there's too much yapping about things before they're even done you that's know sometimes internet. yeah well
0: next trailer oh here it is oh you know, a trailer for
2: the trailer yeah
0: well I th- a trailer
2: I that mean, for the trailer that for the trailer I think it's like a TMI man he I.
0: I don't know when it started, but it was definitely the last twenty years of movies where um, they give away seventy percent of it. They they don't do it like with the movies you're making. I think there's probably a little different. But when you're talking about like action movies or any sort of plot. You almost feel like you don't even have to see it by the time you saw the trailer.
2: Yeah, but I also think that that is that. I think we feel. I think that's true when we feel that way. But I don't think it's a new thing. If you watch any old trailers, like go on YouTube and find like the seventies, going back even further, go back to the thirties, go back to the forties, they've been selling you the entire. They've been, you know, probably trailers made right here in this office on this lot. Yeah, Um, they've been selling movies pretty much the same
1: way. For a long time, you know, with, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> You've been involved in the trailers of your movies, though, mm-hmm. I mean, specifically what's revealed. Mm-hmm. What, are you still doing that? Yeah, um, I mean, I because I love trailers. I,
2: I grew up loving trailers, um, loving the good ones, certainly, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm a, like, you know, an aficionado, I suppose. I love, I collect them. What I do like you think's the best of trailer of all time? Last,
0: let's go last forty years.
2: Well, certainly, the Shining trailer with the blood coming out of oh the God, elevator yeah. is probably a great one. one of, one also of the also the one scariest
0: thirty-second commercial. I think I was when when I, I was probably ten when that movie came out that summer. Yeah, so we we're, were around the same age, mm-hmm. and when that would come on, I would I would like change the channel. I was so scared. Yeah, it was just Nicholson in the snow limping with an axe. i was right. like, what is this? I'd never want to see this movie. Of right. course, I saw it immediately. Yeah, but, but yeah, it was. <clears throat> That's probably yeah. I agree. That that was a good one. I'm trying to think what else was great. (laughs) Nobody ever has the great trailer conversation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit of a lost art because there has to be, like you said, seven trailers for every film. There's not. There's also not that one iconic one that you stick to that you're just like, well, that was the best one for that. You know, some filmmakers still care about it, obviously, but it's not. It's much more of an all-out assault, right? Right. I mean, I listen.
2: I love it. Um, I you know I know. Have you been to the New Beverly Quentin's theater? He does. He, you know, it's a great theater, and he does a great job. And we, you know, I think we share an affection for these things, and it's really fun to see trailers put put together with with a certain kind of film. You know, I do it for my kids at home. We sort of put together trailers that might. Excite them and lead into a film that we're going to watch, something like that. Um, and yeah, there are some really shitty trailers, and those can be just as much fun as, as the really good ones. You know? Do you think you like trailers because of what your dad did for a living? It could be. Uh, it could be. It's it's it may contribute to it, but you realize the importance his dad had for kids in the seventies, right? Yeah,
1: I, I I've heard, I've read, <laughs> I wasn't Corolla
0: Adam Corolla, who's uh, yeah. another California guy. He was. I never knew that was your dad. He didn't, and right. he told me once we were talking about those things. I said I used to love those. Kid and Charlie's gonna have the angels. <laughs> yeah. They do these little things. and then on Vegas, and he was like, "That's Paul Thomas Anderson's dad." I was like, "What?" I almost had a heart attack. Yeah, there are a lot of them are on YouTube now. Yeah, and they, they've <laughs> held the test of time.
2: Yeah. The outtakes and things like that. Have you heard those things that he does? For what? The, well, the out, he was sort of, he had a really, really, really foul mouth. And so there's, <laughs> oh, yeah. but I knew, I would go to work with him at ABC. Yeah. And I'd watch it happen. And then somebody, an engineer that he worked with, cut together a kind of compilation of his greatest hits that he would, I'm sure we can find it on YouTube. It's on it's, the internet? Oh, yeah. Oh, my it God. It should be out there somewhere. It's fantastic. It's him. Shit balls, cocksucker. Fuck. Fuck <laughs> me. You cocksucker. Fuck. Fuck me. You know. It's just like endless, and it goes on. It goes. It's one of those great things that goes on like forty-five seconds longer than yeah. it should. So it just keep, actually keeps rising. How, how funny oh, it that's is! Great.
0: Was that so? That was like his full-time job. That was all he was. That doing was all was he BS? did. Yeah. And there was like him and two other guys and that was it?
2: Yeah, there was kind of the more, uh, my dad did more TV spots, less movie trailers. He wasn't really a trailer guy, although he did do some of those. Before I can really remember, he was made of the voice of ABC. Important job. Um, at that time, it was, like, I mean, the that voice was of, like the love boat. Happy days. Happy days. What's happening? Charlie, and Shirley. Was, oh my God.
1: Fantasy Island. Welcome Back, Hotter. Welcome Back, Hotter. Yeah. Did you have a lot of awareness of that as a kid where you're like, this is a big deal that my dad is this voice or was it just normal workaday a day stuff? Mm, it was normal work a day stuff.
2: Um... Because he wasn't like, because it was such a behind the scenes kind of job. It wasn't like your dad was a famous actor or something like that. You walked down the street, none of the kids at school knew what your dad did and were like, oh, yeah, that's.
0: Unless they were over your house and he said something, they're probably like, Wait, <laughs>
2: get the fuck off my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a grilled cheese? <laughs> yeah. Um, that friend of mine did come over and started using the phone and my dad said to so say what you gotta say and get the fuck off my phone. <laughs> and it was like we always still quote that. Um So do you think But my but but he was also part of the Carol Burnett show too. That's the other thing. He was the booth announcer at the Carol Burnett show. Oh wow. Because he was best buddies with Tim Conway and those guys. And so, you know, I was kind of around those I, I you know, parties at our house were like Tim Conway was there, Harvey Corman, really funny guys. But more than that, all the all these kind of create the engineers and directors, audio guys, sound guys, stuff like that. That worked on show and worked at ABC. Those are the guys that I grew up with.
0: So, were you doing this if you grew up in Kansas City and your dad was like a welder?
2: Yeah, I would. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I who I don't. It's hard to play that game, but I can't imagine the way that I feel right. about my life is that. I, 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 I can only do one thing, and it was this. I've only been obsessed with one thing since I was a child. Maybe it was and a it a Spielbergian
1: i made making the films of the smashing fire trucks sort it, of thing? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the I mean, the story about how Boogie Nights became Boogie Nights, the fact that you were working on that when you were, what were you, like 16? Yeah.
2: You're making the Dirk Diggler story. Yeah. What kind of camera did you have? We had terrible cameras in the 80s. It was a Sony. I'm trying to remember the model number if I looked it up online I could tell you it was an 8mm video 8 heavy? not too it was at the time when it started to become a little bit more compact and actually you could hold the whole thing on your shoulder you didn't have the side pack I started out doing the Betamax one with the side pack and that was really heavy and the camera and the cords even the cords were heavy the 80s were brutal (laughs) I was. I always
0: had the camera in my group of friends, and it was the side pack. It was like twenty pounds of stuff. And so, were like, you
2: the ringleader who was like, "Right, we're going to make the movie. Let's go." I was in the high school and college.
0: I was always the guy who's like, "That guy's drunk. Let's start filming him." I, I was, or like, <laughs> 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 we made a forty-minute movie in high school, and like, I we made a parody. Remember that show, The Hitchhiker? Oh on yeah. HBO? We yeah. Made a yeah. Par- that was my uh, senior project: a parody of The Hitchhiker, using everyone in our school. But I quickly realized I wasn't. You know, you you realized, I'm sure you were like, I'm meant to do this. I realized that was probably
2: meant to do something else. Because it was because it was it was just too much of a pain in the ass to get get everybody going to do it. Or no,
0: it, it just wasn't a cool as cool of a thing in the East Coast. I think. Right. Here you you have probably role models for it and stuff, right? Or you're growing up, especially in the '70s, I mean, you're, you can be like oh i see this path i'm reading about these other directors that did it this way so i'll do it this way I wasn't, yeah i don't think i was like that where I yeah grew
2: up. but I, I that's exactly what it is but then you i mean it takes a long time to realize that trying to follow somebody else's path is not going to work i mean i remember i didn't i'd probably be like coming out of high school i was like well okay you got to go to film school you got to go to film school either at usc or nyu and short of that you're a failure because yeah what other way could there be But when you don't get into those places, you're like, right, I still know I wanna do this. There's no way I'm not gonna do this, so how else can I do it? So it's not gonna happen to me like I've read in these magazines, So here's how Steven Spielberg did it and all these other people, right? So it's just, for me, it was like galvanizing. It was like, okay, change course. And then, then you're like 23 and it's not really
1: happening for you and you start feeling like a failure, like, right, why isn't Hollywood calling?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm 23. Don't they know I should be there by now?
1: Did you ever consider throwing it in, not not pursuing it? Because, I mean, no. it, opportunity came shortly thereafter, right? Yeah, it wasn't long after that that I was
2: able to make my first movie, but I never, ever considered anything else. I mean, sure, panic and fear of, of how this might go, but never did I have the thought, like, I should really learn how to do something else.
1: What, t- aside from... Stick with it. What would you have told your 23-year-old self? Settle down. You know, just settle down.
2: Um, I'm still telling myself to settle down.
0: We grew up in a weird generation. Sean's younger than us. Our generation was like, you graduated college, there was no internet yet. Mm Mm-hmm. And there were these just certain paths that you followed. It's like, if you want to be a writer, you have to get a job at a newspaper or a weekly. Right. If you want to be a director, you have to go to film school. And if you want to be an actor, you move to Hollywood and try to be an actor. And it was like, it, it wasn't the malleability that I think we have now.
2: Not at all. But I'm also, we're products of our parents as well. I mean, they were, they were handing off to us pretty much the exact same thing that had been handed to them, yes. right? Yes. I suppose, unless, I mean, I don't know, you know, there are, I you know, people my age who, my dad was older. Um, my mom was pretty straight-laced, Midwest kind of gal, so there was that kind of thing. But I people our age, too, whose parents were complete fucking pot-smoking hippies, who yeah. actually said, sort of like, eh, you don't have to go to school, you don't have to go to college. But I know less of them than I do the other thing, what I think you and I had, which is like, right.
0: Yeah, that's why I love uh, "Kicking and Screaming" by the Noah Back because I felt like that was like the movie that described. I never wh- saw
2: that one. Oh, really? Yeah. That was
0: like what my life was like, where you graduate college and you're like, uh, "What do I do now?"
2: Yeah,
0: and things are supposed to happen, right? And then six months passed and you're in the same spot you were in yeah. six months before. And I think now, you know, if you were 21 years old now trying to do this, you you would have all these different ways to at least have people see what you were doing. Yes, for sure. And when you're, what was it, you're 22, 23, you're walking around with your cassettes, giving them to different people and hoping one person watched them? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Quick break to talk about our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and your family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage, which gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Simple. Allows you to understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking for your first home or your 10th with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Their trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. We could have bought the Boogie Nights house with Quicken Loans. We didn't. Get a real mortgage approval approval in minutes and adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time. That's Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. That's my name. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS. Consumeraccess.org. Number thirty thirty. And now. Back to Paul Thomas Anderson and Sean Fennessy.
1: What actually happened that allowed heartache to happen?
2: A series of events that got me to the Sundance Lab, and that, that those series of events were, I think, making a decision to not go to college, like a hunt, full stop. Like I have to leave college, which I had barely enrolled in. I sort of like worked my ass off to get to NYU. Quickly realized I don't want to be here the only thing I want to be doing is doing it. I can't, I cannot sit in a classroom. I can't actually, um, I can't take it. So I need to, I need to do what I've been doing on a larger scale and make up like a proper short film. Um, Which is crazy too, because I, you know that, and that was kind of um, that was all I seemed capable of writing. But I was writing features, so I wasn't. I don't know. I don't. I couldn't. I've got to do some more research back into my own head at that time, (laughs) and see what turns up. But attacking, making that short film, attacking, wanting to get it done, and just feel like right, okay, I'm proud of this thing, Hmm. um, and let me try to get it into film festivals, and let me get it out there, and let me try to sort of just keep moving. And it was the first opportunity to work with proper actors. It was like you know, that thing of like getting your friends to do the hitchhike or anything else. I was just like before then, and it's it, not it hasn't changed at all you You're like this like ringleader who's just like, "Right, come on, guys, don't we all want to do this thing?" And some yeah. people do more than others, but it's just like endlessly talking people into stuff or like galvanizing the troops. But that was the first time I worked with actors who had something and really deeply invested in it as well, who were starting out, great actor named Kirk Baltz and Philip Baker Hall, who was in this, who I'd met, who was in the short. And it was, it was like a proper collaboration. It wasn't just like talking your fucking mates into like coming to help you out, right? So that was kind of, that became like a really important thing. Like, oh God, this feels so good. This is like more than just scrounging. We're doing something together. And we're all wanting to get it out into the world. That was really exciting, too. So, And then it went to Sundance. or the, it, it, Yeah, it played at the Sundance Film Festival in the Shorts. And from there, I was invited by a woman named Michelle Satter to join the Sundance Labs. And I'd written a screenplay. And I was just nine, that, getting on that road. Like, where can I find the cash to do this? That yeah, um, was a
0: really fun time to be an up-and-coming filmmaker. You and I just both read the Down and Dirty Pictures again. Yeah. I mean, that was like the heyday of... People actually trying to find young filmmakers and work with them.
2: Totally, totally. Because there was all this home video cash floating around, you know? It was like if you had an idea and a pretty good cast and you could make it for a million bucks. It was there to be had, you yeah. know, and it was a lot of great filmmakers came out of that time.
1: Was it in- intimidating or fraternal at that time? What was it like for you? Because you're always defined as a very like singular working force, writer director. But did you make a lot of friends with all? Do you have like a whole cadre of people that you were around at that time at Sundance? Um, well, the the people
2: that I met um, through that process were, you know, Philip and John, Riley and. John and I became really close, still incredibly close. And that collaboration, that friendship was like born out of that. Um, I mean, I knew his work and I wanted to find him. The only kind of access I had was actually through the Sundance Lab. Like, right, they're legit. I'm not legit. He's legit because he's done some movies. So can two legit parties get to me, you know? And they introduced me. I sort of sent the script to him. And that was one of those crazy situations when you find somebody too because like, you don't think they're looking for you, but in a, in their way they are, you know, he's been in, in like, he'd been in 10, 10 films at that point, which seemed like my God, he's been in 10 movies. Yeah. He's like an old man. He's been around the block, but he, he was looking for parts, you know, he was looking for somebody to, to write with, to be with, to do something with other than just being like a supporting player to Sean Penn or something like that. So just the stars came our way for that, that relationship to happen. And, um, we were running in our own lane trying to just get that work done I don't you know I don't really remember meeting other filmmakers at that time exactly
0: yeah it was I watched a Spielberg documentary and it was I had forgotten this or even not known it that those guys considered themselves like almost like a class like in college
1: yeah well that's what we were talking about yeah. you know that the, the movie brats being pals and then there's some association from people coming up between 90 and 95 or something that everybody's all friends but it's, it's always unclear if that's actually Doesn't true or not I don't think same. so
2: I mean I became friends um, with Quentin um, and that's who I got to know and James Gray is another director I got to know around that time um and you know th- no there are more but like but there were friendships that were formed um but it wasn't like we were all part of a club or something like that but right. do you feel competitive with close. those guys no not at all i think quentin does he feels competitive a little bit maybe with, with you with me yeah <sighs> he doesn't have anything <laughs> he doesn't have anything to worry about um no, you. I mean, this is probably will sound. I think this will sound like the horse instrument so true. Like, somebody does something good. It's exciting. It's really exciting, and especially when something is successful, it's exciting. You know, um, because it's just, it's just. It, if it's good, it's another notch towards like right. Because you always feel somehow at any moment that somebody's gonna like put the handcuffs on you, and they're like, "Right, we figured this all out. You're totally full of shit." <laughs> and, you, know, you, you know, this is you, you've you've kind of had us going for a while. That feeling is always kind of there, and when something hits, like I remember um, when The Revenant was coming out, yeah, and it was and it was sort of talked about in Hollywood circles as like this movie's gone way over budget. I mean, shooting forever. And this is potentially a disaster. and I was like, right, how much competition could you feel to some of you're like, I'm rooting for you. I want you know you all you want is the, all that horseshit kind of stuff that you're having to read about this film. you're thinking about the filmmaker like he doesn't need to know that this is out there about his film. he's fucking working his ass off. And when it came out and it was so amazing and it made so much money and it was such a success, I was like, fucking cheers you know like right okay because the other side of that would have been something really horrible which is like right you're not getting any more money or your budgets go way down everybody cool out because you're not you're not no one's allowed to go out into the snow and make another movie for a long time you know that, that that kind of stuff can happen it's funny
0: how that's a recurring theme in the history of hollywood is people freaking out about some movie that's way over budgeted and, oh my god and, and then Yeah, that's
1: the heaven's gate story right and, yeah. yeah
0: well it's also the godfather right Right, but it's it's like that was Jaws. it's great. It's, yeah, it's Jaws. Jaws. It's a lot of times it works out. Titanic was another one.
2: That's right. That was Titanic. Gonna be another... Oh my God, his right. career
0: is going to be over. It became the biggest movie ever.
2: Right, but I, you know, that probably there's a lot of people rooting against you, or there's a lot of people with too much time on their hands that want to. Have you had a snarky. movie where you felt that? No, I mean, our budgets never get our, our budgets are never big, and we don't. It's another, look, it's another advantage of not trying to be secretive, but just trying to quietly go about your own work. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, when you finish a film, you want the entire world to know that it exists. That's what I would hope for our new film, that literally everybody knows it. But I think there's something when you start it, for me personally, the, the process of finishing writing it and going out into the world and having to make it, it's something that's very sacred and that you want to try to keep as close to you for as long as you can. Yeah.
1: Um, It just keeps it intimate somehow. Um, Are you still working through ideas that you were working on when you were at Sundance Labs? Like, are you making films that you are taking 20, 30, 40 years to happen? Mm, I think I'm fresh out
2: of ideas (laughs) from that period. Those have been been spent, I think. There might be a few in old notebooks that I would find or go back to, but I have a feeling all the good ones from that time were spent and Boogie Nights and Magnolia and 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 a little bit into Punch-Drunk Love.
0: When you did Heart Eight, that didn't seem like it was a totally
2: satisfying experience for you. What did you learn that you took to the other movies? Um they made you change the name. Oh that was that oh god, it was a, that was just a nightmare scenario, the all-time nightmare scenario of um somebody coming in and taking your film from you, you know, um Worst case scenario, worst case scenario. Um, when you say taking it, what'd they do, other than change the title? God. They, for a time, we, for instance, we shot the film in a widescreen format. They came in and made sure to reformat every single shot so that it was actually more of a box. Oh, no. So literally every frame is changed then. Um, so, you know, it's funny. It was one of those things that they don't teach you. It's just like, you have... 10 weeks to try and put this movie together. And so you have all this bluster, all this thing we've been talking about of like, right, I can make a movie, I can make a movie, I can make a movie. And then you go and you make a movie. And there's something that you're just not ready for, which is like, I've got all this footage. I've bluffed my way into this. And now how do I cut this into a 90-minute movie? I was, I fucking had no idea how to get that. You're like Like
0: 24,
2: 25? Yeah, 25. And like my bluff had caught up with me, I think. And if I'd had... A lot of time, maybe I could have figured it out, but I had you know ten weeks less. They sort of came knocking at the door at about five weeks in, and I was like scrambling to figure out what to do with this film. I knew I had good material, good performances and, but I just did, i didn't have the wherewithal i didn't i didn't have the the um i didn't have the chops at the time to figure out how to, to get it done, so they took it away from me, which I suppose I can see their point now, but um actually i can't that point now <laughs> fuck them <laughs> um and but it was a trial by fire for certainly you're like right and then and i think the the worst part about it is just feeling burned or feeling like this is what it's going to be like to try to make movies here so i've got to i've got to put some armor on and i guess go back out and try and do it again and and for a while, I think it really just made me so defensive and so um, kind of blindly protective of myself that I couldn't see that that was a one-off, that that was a kind of complete, unique experience.
0: Yeah. And then Boogie Nights was ready at that point? Or almost ready?
2: Almost ready. And it was kind of the solution to the big question mark, was, will I ever get this film back? Which eventually I did, to a certain extent. I was able to complete the film.
0: Using boogie nights as kind of the collateral?
2: I had to take some of the money that I made from boogie nights and pay to finish the first film myself. Um, and I was finishing, I was preparing boogie nights while finishing the first film. And where are you living eight. in LA at this point? I'm living in an apartment over on Tahunga and Moore Park.
0: Wow. <laughs> it's like the full like swingers era. <laughs> Just everybody out here in different apartments, going exactly. to the same, everybody's in cars, there's no Uber.
2: No, yeah, no, 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 no. You drive, you drive, you, you drive gotta, home. You
0: got to, you got weigh the. Uh,
2: <laughs> you find a way, keep one eye closed, and make it. What was your big boogie nights battle? Because I, I remember I there remember was stuff one. like.
0: Was there one Leo versus Mark Wahlberg was a thing at one point, right?
2: No, was there that, was, was no, there was no urban legend. That's urban legend. There was no v, V.S., Leo V S uh, Mark because Leo just didn't didn't decided not to do the film.
0: Oh, so he just turned it down.
2: He did, but
0: it's an that's one of the great what ifs in movie history. I think it's for
1: the best. That's my take. I rewatched it this week. I was like, Wahlberg's great. He's amazing. Yeah. I I think so I think it too. Might be for the best too.
0: Leo's I don't know. Leo is Dirk Diggler. It's a little different.
2: Yeah, I love Leo, and I loved him then because I was obsessed with Gilbert Grape, which John Riley was yeah. in. It was great, great movie. Um, but backing up before that, this boy's life was this fucking amazing film, that's right? When,
0: that's when that's when I bought all my Leo stock. I was in. <laughs> I bought a little during Growing Pains because oh, that were <laughs> great scenes with Kirk Cameron. And I was like, who's this guy? Wow!
2: Well, so you were in on the ground ground floor. I was. I was. I bought my Leo stock on this boy. This boy's life. He was went toe to toe with De Niro. I know, and so from that point on, I was obsessed with him. And but I think you're right. I think. Looking back, I mean, it's impossible to play this game. Uh, I hate playing it, but Mark was great, and he was right. And I'd like to learn. Well, Leo and I will work together one day, and it'll be the it's right. It's never thing. happened, right? No, but it will happen. Come on,
0: Leo. Um, Burt Reynolds was that always? Always the uh, guy for that?
2: It was a first idea, and then I think it was an idea that I was I, I kind of I, I kind of my memory, which is like a sewer dump. Yeah. is saying that I thought of it and then rethought it. And then I think at the time to try to boost the appeal of the film up to the financers, try to find who who would be a bigger name that could that could help support what we were asking for in terms of the money and stuff that. And that like was
0: that. kind of in the comeback era of like Travolta had the comeback with Pulp Fiction and you bring the star. who hadn't been the had. Burt Reynolds had just done a,
2: a great turn in striptease. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. With Demi Moore. Um, Yeah, so that... Jack Nicholson seemed like a really good idea, but we could never really get him to read the script. Um, That's the
1: other what if that we've discussed.
2: I thought that would be interesting. But maybe, maybe it might have overwhelmed it a bit. I mean, Jack's such a big presence. You need him to maybe be... The 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 thing of a movie. I don't
0: know. know if the porn and the seediness would have res- resonated with Jack Nicholson. I just I don't I don't
1: see it. I don't no know think it would have been <laughs> a- we got to see them together though in The Departed, so we got what we needed there on Leo and Jack. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
0: was that this? And there Mark, there's always a story right. about you and Burt Reynolds went at it on the set, and it was right during the famous scene when Wahlberg versus Burt Reynolds, which it really seems like they're arguing. And you battled with Bert first, and there was like an intensity like on the set for those two days. Is that true? or Is that urban legend?
2: That's almost true. I think that when Bert and I kind of got into it, I don't. I, it may have been the day before or the day after, but it was a it was a it was a really tense three days on the on the set of Boogie Nights. Which the other fifty seven days were really fun and a lot of laughs. But there was three tense days there in the middle where Mark. Was fighting with Bert, or in in the film? Yeah, and it was really in that kind of like in the and then I you know, looking back, it was really in the like the nasty part of the movie too. When really everything's kind of going wrong.
0: You think in the movie uh, that uh, infects the actual set? I a do. Little bit? I absolutely
2: do. Absolutely. You know, when it's the good times and everybody's got their silk disco pants on, and everything it's like it, it's we're having a ball. It's really fun, and but when it starts to get like cocaine glossy and hangovers and like Guy shooting stuff on new year's eve there's all that there's blood and, and it's like it it's it's just like it, the 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 fun of it all was wearing off and it was like the middle of summer it was really hot and it was just, we'd, we were all stuck together in that house for a long time. And things were just like, they were West heated. Covina. it Covina? It's for That's sale right. for like a year. I
1: saw that. And
2: I think it just sold. I saw
1: that on Curb, ah, Curb, LA. his biggest dream for our offices to be operating out of that house. He's raised it I, five times. I got
0: to be honest. I did I did ways to see exactly how many miles it was away. Because I was like, could we make this the video audio hub of the ringer? And it was too far. It's just it's like too far. It's 50 minutes away. If it was 25, it was conceivable, but I was like, can you imagine we're shooting like NFL previews by the Boogie Nights pool? Like, how weird that would be? Incredible. <laughs> it's, it's
1: not a good idea. It's not, not a good idea. There's a lot of karmic energy in that house, too, you know? What,
0: what's amazing is they didn't change it, they didn't touch one thing. It looks exactly I think I the saw, same.
2: It looked at it, from the pictures, it looks exactly the same to me as well. Oh, I have such fond memories of that time, Of and it was really like right at the edge of. There's a thing called the zone. Do you know the zone? Like if you, if you shoot outside of the zone, you have to pay people to travel there. You have to put them up and yeah, yeah. all these kind of union rules. And it was right at the edge of where you could shoot in Los Angeles um, without incurring those kinds of costs. And... I did see that that house was for sale. I would love to go back there again. I wonder if you know if the, the, the the bad thing will happen. Somebody's going to buy it and they're going to tear it down and they're going to do something. I thought badly. you were going to end up
0: buying it. I just figured you would you would just take care of it. I fives. Keep it off the market. You
2: know, even if I had that cash line around, which I don't, <laughs> West Covina it's West
0: just Covina's, too far. I think yeah. you're right.
1: I mean, it, I've it, had
0: some youth soccer games in the West Covina area. It is that it's that very close to L.A.
1: No, unfortunately, no. You ever go back and watch Boogie Nights?
2: Or any of your films? If they're on, yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. If you're flicking channels? If you're flicking channels.
1: Do you have the, I would have done this differently feeling?
2: Not really. I mean, yeah, for sure, but not not in any serious way, because that game is a a terrible game to play. I think I'm more more kind of... Hypnotize yourself into believing that you didn't even make it, or you just sort of enjoy more of the memories of it, or you know, um, I would imagine
0: it's like watching a home movie where you're like, Oh, this scene that's, I remember John C. Riley threw up that day and then he filmed anyway. I
2: think that's a better way of saying it that you look at it more as a home movie, or and you, you so that helps you kind of ignore any like kind of obsessive filmmaker flaws bullshit that you might do because that's just that would. Then your day's ruined, and then you get you get to worry about that all afternoon. And that that no, I think it's more of a fun thing. Like, um, Boogie Nights is probably on more than other things.
1: Um,
0: it's been a twenty-year cable rewatch.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's always in the mix. Yeah. Um, Inherent Vice is making a run on HBO these days. It's on. It's on a lot. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. That's a good movie for right now. So you're
0: 27, you're making boogie nights, and you've got like 50 actors on the set at all times, basically. Yeah. I mean, that, that going from heartache to that, that had to have been education, I would guess. You're managing all these different egos. You become like the dad of this gigantic family. Hmm. You haven't made a movie with that many people that many characters that you're juggling over a short course of time like that since, right?
2: No, well, I mean, Magnolia had that same kind of sprawl and ensemble thing. But, but it was, it was contained opposite. with
0: different pieces.
2: <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's funny to look back at it. I never, I, I I guess you're right. I think I was coming out of that experience um, on uh, Hard Eight, with like a lot of vinegar and a lot to prove, yeah. right, you know, so I was kind of like, gonna get it right. And on top of that, that energy and that kind of ego or that focus, all that stuff, I was in a world that I really felt comfortable in. I was in my backyard, you know, not West Covina, but I was in the valley. The valley. I was with people that were m- m- close to my own age. I was with Dr- Riley and Markey and Cheadle and yeah. and all those guys. So um, I felt at home. I was really like, right, this is this is going to come to me. And I think we all was such such a team feeling like we were all kind of let loose a little bit, and we were and it was our shot. We weren't going to blow it either, you know. We were going to kind of take our our opportunity. And it it, was all, it all felt so good to us at the time.
0: You know what's interesting about when, after when it came out, it was right during the era when DVDs had deleted scenes.
2: That's right, yeah.
0: And it was one of the first, I, I, when DVDs came out, it was so primitive that I remember like Goodfellas, you had to flip it halfway through. That's right. And then by about 96, 97, they started getting better. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they started putting extra stuff. And I remember thinking like, extra stuff like i'm in boston i'm bartending i'm like there's scenes that weren't in the movie what like i'm just confused by it and yours came out i'm gonna say there was a normal dvd and then a, a dvd that had a whole bunch of stuff like, yeah you went all in it seemed like you were involved with it it's yeah a, it's
1: a very and there's
0: like 40 minutes of content that could have been in the movie like my head almost exploded
1: it's a very important director's commentary for a lot of people too because yeah. there was a little, yeah. you were very honest about like I I stole this from Goodfellas, you know. Yeah. I stole this from yeah. that. It was like that was like an education for people who didn't understand how movies actually worked, you know. Right. But um, so did you skip? Did did Laserdiscs skip you by? Did that
2: kind of not get your way? I I blew it on discs. I've noticed because that was where to me That's that was where that started, yeah. and it started through who you yeah, know we all know and love now. Criterion was yeah. doing those Laserdiscs, and you mentioned that to DVD. Well, remember. When Boogie Nights* was coming out, I was talking to the guy from Criterion. I was like, "Aren't you, aren't you going to make DVDs?" He's like, "That's not going to last. We're sticking <laughs> with laser discs. I was like, "Gulp!" I don't know. I think this DVD things. but that format of material and commentary track stuff—that was a laser disc. That was that was where that was where it was born, because you could get all that information on there, and it was like, Phew, "This is great." And it
0: was also the golden years of directors' commentaries before people. Actually realized that these were going to be on the DVDs for the rest of their lives. Yes, you know, there's like a three-year window. where It's like, hey, we want you to do this DVD commentary for a movie. Um, just talk as the movie goes, and people are like, great. And then it's on the DVD. Like Ben Affleck had the Goodwill Hunting one, and he's he's like crazy in it, and really funny. But I'm sure he would take back like half the stuff he said. I
1: think
2: I, I, you know, I just had an idea just now, and obviously it's too late. Maybe for the next film is that. It seems to me that you could do a, a new way to do a commentary, would be like in the editing room. Like by the time you get to the finish of film, at least at this, where I am right now, the last thing you want to do, I've seen this movie so many times. Right. I do not want to sit down and watch that movie again. The only thing I'll just like start snoring. But maybe you could have like a little, you know, just talking to your phone as you're editing or something like this is pretty. And then you could chop it up. And so you can kind of track... Like a produced director's commentary? What do you mean? Produced, like... Like if, you do, if
0: you're talking in little bites as it's going along, somebody could string that together. And <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah, maybe yeah, that's cool. a way
2: to do it. So that you're... They got really polished, too. They got kind of like... Now they're too aware. We want you to now, now come down to this studio. And, yeah. and and then it became like signing waivers. So And then these big disclaimers at the beginning, like... The, Sony doesn't believe anything that this guy is saying on the commentary track. And it was like, well, the
1: best is, ones are the ones that are more obsessed where you can hear the person smoking and eating Doritos and just being like, I got to get all my jokes chance. in now. You know, I got all my lines I've been thinking about with this movie, but the, the, the Boogie Nights one is particularly good. Then Were you thi- like excited about doing all that stuff back then about saying like, I've got a whole slew of, you know, cut scenes that I want to show people for sure. Yeah. I mean, we still, I still get excited about that. Um, that
2: hasn't gone away it, it i think on that movie there were actually pretty good scenes too that were cut less and less like more and more now you're like the, ba- the like sh- bad scenes get cut and you and at this point you're like i don't really need any but i deleted, for a reason absolutely yeah.
0: except the boogie nights one there's a couple of classics but there's a scene that you cut that i'm still bitter about which I one was that scene. which one the second time dirk wins the awards Mm-hmm. I bet, I've done a good job of not going full nerd on Boogie Nights. Sean was worried. <laughs>
1: Paul might disagree,
0: but you know, okay. we'll see. He might disagree. The second time he wins the award, he just goes up and says, thank you. And then it goes to the next yeah. scene, which I assume you did for pacing, but you film the scene of him winning the second time and you cut to everybody in, in yeah. the crowd reacting to mm-hmm. it. Mm hmm. And I always thought it was amazing because it captures each character in like whatever their reaction was. And it's like two and a half minutes long. And I was always like, that should have been the movie. But yeah, I'm sure you had your reasons. I, I it's do, just an awesome two minutes. You know what I'm
2: talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it came into my mind the other day. I don't Apropos of I don't know what. And I was remembering Don Cheadle sitting there.
0: <laughs> with the, the
2: wig in one of his wigs on one some outfit so yeah. i can't i was trying to remember what outfit he was in maybe it was like an earth wind and fire kind of outfit or something and then and it, i and then i started and then for whatever that image came into my mind driving around in my car and then of course the floodgates open and you start remembering everybody else i yeah. really started smiling and i wonder if i don't think i thought oh that should have been in there but I just had that kind of fu- warm, fuzzy memory of doing that. It Could that. have
0: definitely been the commercial for the movie. They just could have cut to everybody celebrating because it was really did capture each person. It's
2: true. Yeah.
0: You had the little Bill and his and his wife. Little Bill and, and she's his wife making it somebody.
2: Yeah, and... I remember some. She's she has she she. I think I remember in hers. Doesn't her doesn't don't her, her fl- like eyelids. Eyelids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> her eyelash get stuck together. <laughs>
0: Let's take a breath and talk about Simply Safe. The holidays can be a crazy time. You want to make sure that your home is protected through all of it, especially if you're going away. What better time to step in with than with Simply Safe Home Security, our old friends? Simply Safe has made everything about security effortless for you. You barely have to lift a finger. Order it online; it's delivered right to your door with free shipping. Set up so easy; it takes less than an hour. A ten-year-old could do this. Not my ten-year-old, but most ten-year-olds could do this. Best of all, Simply Safe has no long-term contracts, no pushy sales guys, no hidden fees. You're protecting your whole house for an honest and fair price, just fifteen dollars a month for best in industry, alarm twenty-four-seven monitor, alarm monitoring. Right now, for my holiday, for the holidays, my friends at Simply Safe are giving you my listeners an incredible offer: two hundred dollars off this package, complete protection for your home, handpicked by me. All you have to do is go to Simply Safe BS dot com, that's simply safe with two eyes, and you get two hundred dollars off these systems. Will fly off the shelves during the holidays. Get one as soon as you can. Two hundred dollars off. Go to bs dot com and now, more with Paul Thomas Anderson. So when did you feel like you had complete command of the craft, like for for where you wanted to be, where you could just be like, I'm making a movie. I'm just good at this and this is every detail is going to be perfect. And I know I'm just going to nail this.
2: But well, I mean, if I admitted to feeling that, would that, wouldn't that make me like psychotic? Like, no, 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 because...
0: I'm, not, I'm not saying like you're perfect. I'm just saying mm-hmm. like with, like with a baseball pitcher at some point, a yeah. baseball <laughs> pitcher like, I know what I'm doing. I have these four pitches. I know how to throw them and I can do this.
2: Confidence. Well, con- fun. Yeah. Confidence came for sure. After boogie nights in, in during, during, boogie nights and during the editing of it and feeling like look looking at it and feeling like this is, this is, I I aimed it this way and I've kind of meant to do this. Oh my God. It worked. It worked. You know, Um, there was definitely a confidence boost from that big time. Is magnolia. And then to to have, to, to, to not to, to feel that way, but then turn around and have other people feel that way and have, You know, sit in a big theater. I never, I never had that opportunity for my first film. Sit in a big theater and and watch people watch it and laugh, and really get into it. It was like, right, okay. Not only like, not only the confidence boost, but more just a wider understanding of like, okay, so I think I got the job. I think I know how. I think I can do this. But let me figure out what more I can do with it. What else can I do? And then I wrote Magnolia, which that was
1: just like too much confidence, probably. But that's okay. It's that good. was going to be my question. Was it, was it supposed to be a challenge for yourself? I think it
2: was just a challenge. It, didn't, it would be a challenge. it was a challenge to write so personally and to write so so nakedly about my life at the time and just blah, like throw it all up and put it out there um, but that seemed like the right thing to do at that time. It just seemed like I had no other experience except the one right in front of me, which had just happened, um, or dealing with the last couple of years of my life. And like, um, it all just came out.
0: Did you know Cruz had that in him? Oh, yeah. What movie made you think he had it in him?
2: You know, uh, Rain Man. For sure, Rain He's Man. He's the
0: MVP of Rain Man. Ugh. That's one of my Oscar redos. Cruz has way harder role in Rain Man. Yes. Way harder. Yeah. Because I mean, he's an asshole, but I have to like him by the end of
2: it. He's got so many, he has got so many more moves he has to pull. Um, and I, I, I get, yeah, I'd lo- always loved Tom Cruise like everybody else loved Tom Cruise, but Rain Man, man, man like, mm, I think I love Tom Cruise more than anybody loves Tom Cruise. And yeah. then, um, Born on the Fourth of July was an amazing performance. And Color Money. Yeah. I mean, those those three, those were strong, you know.
1: Um, There's a little Frank T.J. Mackey in all three of those characters, too. Mm-hmm. A little dickish, something that you're a- attracted to. He's funny, too. Yeah. Cruz is funny.
2: But, you know, I was thinking about it. I mean, Cruz. when you see Tom Cruise on screen... Name name anybody else that can do that right now that can do what Cruz can do? Who can who? Whether it's in his action films or whether it's in his dramatic stuff, Cruz is the fucking king. If you like, step back a little bit, and you're like, right, come on, games on. It's fucking Cruz. Well, the I love is, watching those Mission Impossible movies. The
0: body of work, like if he was an athlete, we would be wondering what the hell is going on. Because totally risky business was nineteen eighty two, right? You know, and he was, he was a kid in the movie, but he's probably a tiny bit older than that. But you know, Edge of Tomorrow was that one with Emily Blunt. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, but I mean, like, in that
2: sports analogy four. too, I mean, he could, he, he, you know, as he gets older, if he loses his ability to jump off buildings and stuff like that, I'm not nervous about that at all because he's got so many moves to fall back on because he's i wrote a a big bag of tricks
0: a couple months maybe a month ago i wrote about what cruz's next move is because he saw like the great actors that we grew up with like paul newman when he made the verdict it was an important moment for his career because he kind of aged and it was a character that you don't really play when you're trying to be the a-list you know action hero actor you play it when you're moving into the next part of your career and I think Cruz is ready
2: for one of those. Like he's, he's ready he's, for his verdict. Just you wait. That could wait. be your next challenge. I, just, I think, right around the corner, you're going to see that. It's going to be, yeah, Cruz is... Don't, don't bet against Cruz. What,
0: what made you want to do a movie with Adam Sandler? What would you see in him?
2: Well, I particularly loved Big Daddy. That was my number one. I mean, and, and Happy Gilmore, I suppose. Um... More than I liked Billy Madison. I liked Billy Madison, but when I, by the time I got to ha- uh, Happy Gilmore, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kate's favorite, too. I enjoyed uh-huh. that. <laughs> um, and then I think I really graduated to obsession level with, like I said, with Big Daddy.
1: Um, what about Big Daddy? That one is a little lost of time. My kids love Big Daddy if there's any. Did they like. uh, My
0: kids think Sandler is like the greatest actor of all time. They love (laughs) Sandler. They're in on anything
2: Sandler. They have great taste. Yeah. They have great taste. Um, You know, I think Big Daddy was trying to was kind of it was a little bit more polished it was trying it sort of seemed a little bit more able to kind of be sincere and fuck the crazy fucking dirty shit that Sandler likes to do and he sort yeah. of got the mix really right and um um and i think he looked to me like he just looks like a goofball in Happy Gilmore. But in Big Daddy, you start to see, like, there's actually kind of a handsome guy in there, you know? there's still There still is. As a matter of fact, I haven't seen the Meyerowitz stories yet, but I've been seeing these pictures of him lately. I haven't seen him in a while. We talk all the time, but I haven't seen him in a while. He's, he's getting really... He's so good-looking now as he gets older. I know that's not what people would normally say about him, but his face is getting even better as he gets older.
0: I thought he was really good in Funny People. Yeah,
2: yeah me too.
0: I think... I. I I thought that was the one where it's like, if somebody's having a, is Sandler, how good of an actor is the argument? The first hour of funny people. I think he's excellent. I'm not, I'm also not sure how many people could have pulled
1: that movie off. I think it's true it in Meyerwitz too. If you see Meyerwitz, it, it reminds me a lot of Punch Drunk Love, but, um, he's a really good actor and you know, it's kind of cliche at this point to be like, but he's a good actor. Cause if you've seen Punch Drunk Love or have you seen, you know, one of those other movies, but he's. He's really good in this movie.
0: Well, what's interesting, one of the things that fascinates me about you is like you love Midnight Run. Midnight Run's like a formative movie for you. Big time, yeah. Like, they, Heart Eight was named Sydney. Mm hmm. Which, <laughs> I mean, Midnight that's Run inside you, yeah, That's sure. super inside baseball for sure. Yeah, inside baseball. You love Sandler. Boogie Nights has so many like really genuinely funny, hilarious moments in it. Mm hmm. Yet you've since then, you've never gone like full scale into just trying to make a funny movie. Like, would you ever make. Midnight Run, like that type of movie, would you ever want to do that, or have you just passed that?
2: Well, I, I'm not past anything. It's like, I, you, 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 I. It doesn't really work that way. Like, I'm gonna make a Midnight Run type of movie. You know, I mean. An action, a buddy action comedy on the road kind of, you know. Wait, e- the formula works. It sure does. <laughs> I love it. I haven't seen that done in a while. Um, all, wait, I must, I did see some of Central Intelligence. I thought there was some pretty good stuff in that. That actually was.
0: See, I think you're thinking about it. You're playing boy. Play. He's studying all these different buddy comedies. <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. running, you. you. can do um, good stuff
1: with The
2: Rock. You know, think about it. I don't. I love The Rock. I love The Rock. But I think The Rock. I think yeah.
0: Because Boogie Nights is basically a buddy movie in in a couple weird ways with
2: Brock and Chest. Yeah, for and sure.
0: Brock, yeah. And there's father son stuff with Dirk Brock and, and, Dirk. and with uh, Dirk and Jack Horner. But right. But Brock and Dirk, like that's some of the
2: most fun stuff.
0: I think you have it in you. You just went to nineteen fifty. Are you trying England. to
2: say that my movies aren't funny no, anymore? <laughs> they not. haven't been funny in a while. <laughs> like kind of the Woody no, was, Allen thing. Like you're earlier funnier be, stuff. I thought Phantom
0: Thread had some really funny moments which I was not prepared for. Because yeah. it seemed so serious in the beginning. I was like, oh, all right, serious movie coming. And well, then there's some laughs in it. Which maybe that's a problem for. that
2: we've had lately. I mean I remember watching The Master um and feeling like, maybe we have a problem here because I'm I'm one of those people that, if they start laughing, they cannot stop. There's probably two types of people in the world. There's the people that can just laugh and that's it. And then there's people that once they start, they're crying and they can't stop. I'm in that, I'm the latter. Um, and I found the master to to be very 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 funny, and I don't and but I somewhere along the way we didn't really get the laughs that that I think yeah, I don't think we it should gets and for I that. think it was that uh, maybe I find when somebody is so serious I find that funny when somebody is so dedicated to what they believe I find that funny so kind of every word that comes out of Phil's mouth I find pretty funny yeah when
1: he says you're a scoundrel i All, was cracking up when i watched that every game. last yeah. word
2: somehow feels like absolute <laughs> bullshit and i find it funny i somehow i think there was there was a seriousness there was a there was an overall heaviness to that film anyway because of joaquin's that somewhere hopefully over time some of that humor will reemerge to an audience or something like that but those are those funny things you know you make something and you think God, i was it was funny to me. And then it's just fucking crickets.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like people are afraid because they're, they're not sure if they're supposed to laugh. I felt that watching Phantom Thread. People are like, oh, a very serious work. But there's, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is funny. He's, He's very
2: funny. But we have that same phenomenon on There Will Be Blood a lot, you know, where we, we've done some uh, live score like they, they play the movie mm-hmm. again with a live orchestra and Johnny Greenwood plays. Really? And it plays like a comedy. I'm not kidding. Just the character is so, it's he, very well known now to these audiences yeah. and they know what's coming and they know every last kind of look and um, question mark that looms behind his eyes as he looks at Eli or how he deals with him. Somehow knowing the film and knowing where it's headed, it becomes it becomes a lot funnier to audiences, at least the ones
1: who know it. Can we it's talk more about strange. that?
0: Yeah, movie? Let's, Sean's ready to nerd up on uh, on There Will Be Blood.
1: How? What What do you remember most about making it? Being in the desert,
2: being in the desert with a great group of people, being in the desert with, um, I just had a baby, so I had like a, at that time a an eight month old, living in Marfa, Texas, and feeling like completely talk about going to West Covina and feeling like, you know, you're, you're outside of town and you've got that. We were in the middle of West Texas, you know, hours, hours, and hours away from anything. So it really felt like no adult supervision, the world's greatest actor, a really good script, lights, cameras, film. is exciting. You know, when we had that train coming down those tracks and sort of like go through all this work to get that train coming down those tracks. You're like pinching yourself like this is a dream come true. This is really like this is like fantasy land stuff. Um, and that was all kind of at the beginning. And then as it went on my memories were of just the joy of watching Daniel work really like knowing that I was watching something front row that was pretty spectacular. I felt really confident about it. Sounds like it. sports. Right.
0: Like you're watching LeBron in his prime or something.
2: Well, I, we had an actor come to the set one day, had to do this confrontation scene with Daniel. It's a great actor named David Wachowski. It's the guy in the scene where he says, Daniel ends up saying, one of these nights I'm going to come in and I'm going to cut your throat from wherever you live and I'm going to cut your throat. So anyway, this actor has to do this scene with Daniel all day, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And at the end of it, he stood up and he said, I just feel like I want 10 rounds with Federer. And it, <laughs> and it was exactly that. It was that yeah. sports things. It was like just that feeling of the energy between him and other actors that would come on. Fucking great to watch.
0: So, like, I could name the three great things that LeBron does or Federer or whatever. What are the three things that Dana Day Lewis does that make him the best? Like, what, what are the three things you would say, the three traits? that he has that you just haven't really seen?
2: Um, he, it, the, every word that comes out of his mouth feels like it just came out of his brain and to his lips and out into the air. It doesn't feel like a line that you've written. Um, on the flip side of that, when he gets a good line, he can chew it up and like serve it up as a fastball with so much stink on it that you yeah. just, you're like, it's theater, you know? And the other thing is the physicality that he has, the way he can, like, hunch his shoulders or move into something or, or chew on his lip or just seeing him walk down a hallway a certain way. And you think of that Bill the Butcher stuff, think of him walking out in that gang's in New York and sort like, planting his foot. And some piece of physicality that he does, where you think, like, nobody else would have come up with that. Nobody and those kind of defining moments that you're like, right, this is a Now you settle in and you're like, right, I'm watching a movie now in the best way, like turn the lights down. This is a movie. At the same time though, that 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 can imply that it's theatrical, which is good, but there's that balance that he can do the small stuff really, really well and make it seem simple. Which is something we always talk about is like, Whenever we'll come across a performance, something that we like, I think we've always said, "Like God, fucking, did you? How the fuck did they do? How they make it look so simple? God damn it, we gotta keep working." It's like one of those things that you—it's not jealous. We we're talking about jealousy earlier. It's—it's it's like you're like, "Fuck,
0: how they do it? Like they crack the code. They fucking
2: crack the code. They make it look so easy. We're trying too hard. God, loosen up, loosen up." You know, Phantom you know, F- you know, F-
0: Thread was definitely like that. Where I was watching it, I thought it was great. um And it felt like a movie only you could have made. And it also felt like a movie only he could have been in. You know what I mean? I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine who else would have played that role.
1: Well, I was wondering about that. Because I saw you talk about the movie a little bit. And you said that this was really collaborative with Daniel. Yeah. yeah, The new one. Was There Will Be Blood similar? Where there was a lot of conversation about who this person was. And you unlock new stuff from talking to him. Yeah, it was exactly like that. The only difference was that
2: I had more written of there will be blood um and there was a book um which we didn't use much but you know um but in both instances there was a kind of there was a thing to latch onto outside of whatever emotional things we were going to deal with which is really comforting to kind of occupy your day with like Let's learn how to get oil out of the ground. What are the realities of these guys looking for oil? It's just historical stuff that you can spend your day dealing with, even though you know you're not making a film that's really about that, right? So you can spend your days learning how to sew. You can spend your days learning about making dresses in the 1950s. But, you have to get
0: the dialogue and the lingo perfect, too, right? But we got, yeah. we
2: got to get all that shtick down and make sure we don't look like fools, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, it's all that kind of work that he likes to do and I like to do of trying as deeply as you can to get uh, a th- to live inside a, re- a 3D model of the thing, you know, and really kind of look ar- look around at all sides of it and try and figure it out. And doing that with him is fun. I mean, it's it's elaborate.
1: Does it ever scare you? It's It's described as being very intense.
2: No, it doesn't scare me. Uh, it's only intense in that the level uh, – it's intense on set. The level of concentration he has is really severe. It's tops. I mean, you know, it's sports metaphors like Daniel – there's no reliever when it comes – when Daniel's pitching a game. He's going the full nine, right? I mean, that's – you don't – the bullpen doesn didn't even come in that day. Yeah. You know, and – that's intense. That level of concentration is intense. Because usually sometimes even the most intense actors I've worked with, it's like, right, it's lunch. Let's just take a break. But it's not. It's, it's strong all day with Tanya. Did you
0: know that was coming when you did There Will Be Blood? Yeah. You'd heard the stories, I'm sure.
2: I'd heard stories, but I, I, did, I was trying to make up my own mind. But we were clear with each other. And we'd been just getting to know each other and working on it beforehand. You know, you're like, right, it's not going dr- to drastically change. It's not like we're going to so get out on the road and it's going to be wildly different.
0: Is that more fun for you, or is it more fun to be like when the set's more jovial?
2: Getting a balance. I mean, I, I getting a balance. It's fun to have fun, but it, it you know it's we do have we, we on our sets. We do fuck around. Um, we do have laughs and things like that. But it's not you know we're there to work. We're really we're there to work. So. There's a way to do it. You can have a good time and get on with the work, but it depends. It's like, you know, Daniel was a different character when There Will Be Blood. That person was living outside and he, there, was, there was a sort of team of people that he worked with and he had his space and all that kind of stuff. And this one, we were all, all just like right on top of each other in is never any bigger than this. The very exacting character. Noises were particular. That typing over there would be like, <laughs> <laughs> get I rid mean, get rid of that guy. You know, <laughs> Tain, maybe you should leave. So, but that's Reynolds Woodcock, and so we were living inside that world, and that was that was the fun and the pain of it for for three and a half four months. What were you we gonna say,
0: Sean? I interrupted.
1: No, you got at it. Um, wh- the master you were saying though was pretty is was funny and fun to do with Phil and, and Joaquin, but was the set very intense? Given that some of the exchanges in the movie are very intense Uh,
2: yeah for sure absolutely um the days that are intense are intense they're quiet they're quiet you can hear a pin drop and that's all those are always good days because everybody's on their game you know no one's wandering everybody's focused it's a big scene at the end of the master that we shot for one day in that when joaquin comes back to see phil and they have a very long conversation at a table that was one of the most intense days I've ever been a part of, too, just from stepping on the scents, from the energy that both of them were giving off, and Amy as well, who was there. It was like the the air was thick, and the air, you could smell it, and the smell said, don't fuck around in here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then it was good. It was really nice. It was a really, you know, what happens, you're in this big room, it boils down to probably like five or six crew members and the actors, everybody else is outside and you just get on with it and you, what happens when it starts is you just know like, right, we've started and we can't stop, we can't break this concentration, you know, we didn't break for lunch, you don't, you just get in it and you do it and you do it as quickly and as swiftly as possible so that you can't, you don't break... Concentration.
0: One more break to talk about our good friends at Squarespace. They have been our good friends now. This is year three of my friendship with them. Make it easy to build beautiful websites. Who does that? Squarespace. Whether you're planning to start a business, change careers, launch a creative project now that 2017 is in the books, you should absolutely be tackling your next move with Squarespace. Widely used by all kinds of people and businesses. They give you the ability to create an online platform with which you can make your latest goals into a reality. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, an online store, it's all included in your Squarespace website. Add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. Nothing to install, patch, or upgrade, ever. Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support will help you no matter how hard or how easy. Your problem may be 24-7 customer support, underrated, by the way. Start a free trial at Squarespace.com. Use offer code BS to get 10% off your first purchase. What a deal. Again, that's Squarespace.com. Offer code BS. Back to Paul and Sean. You became addicted to Philip Seymour Hoffman because the scent of a woman, right? Mm-hmm. You watched that one and you were just like, I want to work with that guy. Yeah.
2: That's my guy. How many movies you do with him? I don't know. Six. If this is eight, I've 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 only ever made one movie without him. Two movies without him. Six. So six. What do you miss the most about him? Uh, Everything. Everything.
1: Yeah. What um how aware are you of the conversation that is happening around your movies? I was thinking about this with there will be blood in the master. The conversation started to be, this is a movie master. This is like a, every movie now is an event. That's obviously something that's happening in that TMI world that we were talking about before. But like, are you aware of that stuff? Do people come up to you and they say like, you're the greatest, you're the best ever. Tell me how you do it. I get, I get
2: people recognize me. Sure. On, but you know, usually it's, you, you, maybe you might know where it might happen, you know, if you go to the movies. Right. People <laughs> say, like, hey, hey, you know. Um, and then it ha- happens randomly at places you'll never expect, something like that. And that's always kind of, uh, that's great. It's really exciting. Like, what the fuck? How the fuck do you know who I am? Um, it's exciting. I mean, I love the idea. I mean, look, what better situation could there be that if you, you're going to make a film and go about it and people are anticipating it and people are into it it's amazing it's so exciting but then you can also have that thing in reverse where somebody comes up and like gets really scared they're like somebody came up to them. I think I was a valet guy I was like oh man is my favorite movie of all time and I was like great well come see the new one he's like you got a new movie coming out <laughs> <laughs> like mmm <laughs> gotta work on our marketing that's why you're sitting here (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly like come on um so yeah were you
0: were you do you think at all about the uh the peak levels of directors and how long a director can stay at a certain level and what the history of that is because there's always there's sometimes some people feel like seven eight years and that's it and that's when you have your run and then it's really hard to put together a couple decades,
2: which now, you've now done. Well, thanks. That's great. I th- but it reminds me that I, I never saw this letter, but apparently, I want to find out if this is true or not. That there was a there's a kind of health report that went out to the Directors Guild of America members, which really includes first assistant directors and yeah. second assistant directors and it was based, it was said something to the extent of the average life expectancy for a dga member is 57 years. <laughs> oh my god. That's <laughs> like, not good. Like I think the assistant directors with all the stress they had brought brought the the median age way 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 down through like, you know, premature heart attacks from being screamed at probably by producers and directors, but I think it can take a lot out of you and I you'll see other filmmakers that you like whose best work is here or there or in the middle or sometimes towards the end, but you know Yeah, you become aware like I know Quentin likes to say like I'm making ten movies and then I'm quitting, you know, that kind of thing. But I could never, I, I don't know how he could say that or if he could take himself seriously when he's saying that. Like, this is what I want to do. As long as yeah. I'm able to do it, I'm going to keep doing it. And I think things can become peculiar maybe when directors don't act their age, maybe, you know, or seeing seeing them try to um, keep up with the kids or do something that's, you know, maybe trying to be hip or something like that. That never is a good look.
0: They don't age with their age.
2: Right. Um, so I don't know.
0: I had a friend who was a director say that he he became obsessed with, as he was going through a divorce, and he was saying how he became obsessed with how hard, how many directors got divorced and how many of them had whatever, like hard family stuff, because when they made movies, everyone in that movie became their family for nine, ten months. And you almost—it's really hard to also juggle your real family, and be able to just go back and forth between those two worlds. And he was like, he was like, people have no idea how hard this is, especially when it's done and you got to shut it off. And now it's like, all right, say goodbye to my hundred and twenty-person family; they're gone.
2: I've seen that happen a lot um, to a lot of people that I've worked with. I've seen—I see it happen a lot with cinematographers who really kind of go from film to film. Um, I mean, we joke, we joke, there should be like a, um, a divorce fund at the ASC clubhouse, you know, just because, because it's a kind of a common thing. Um, and divorce and that kind of stuff can be common. You see like really difficult films. I, you know, I remember on Avatar, there's some people that I knew that worked, I, you know, that just went on for so long, so long. And there was a lot, of, like a long road of like really kind of damaged lives of people really unable to balance. The requirements that were being put on them for that job, and they they're the fucking real thing that they're working for with yeah. their, their family. Um. Yeah, I, I knock, I knock wood. I could be failing miserably, but I, 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 I try to steer clear of that problem. How many kids you have now? I have four. You have four?
0: What yeah. are the age ranges?
2: Uh, 12, 8, eight, six, and four. How many do you have?
0: I have a twelve and a ten. Great. With 12, the boy, a boy or a girl?
2: It's a girl. Three girls and one boy I huh?
0: have. 12-year-old girls. That could be a second podcast. Do you have a we'll girl, a 12-year-old out. girl? Yeah. Yeah. Twelve, twelve and a half 12 and a half now. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I know. In a good way. I'm still, I'm, as long as I can stay her hero for like another six months, I'm good. But I know it's going to end soon.
2: Well, so I suppose it will end, end soon, won't it? But then it'll come back, right? It'll come won't back. It? Yeah, that's what they say. They come back at some point, but...
0: You know, so have you thought about you? You know, you four kids. Have you thought about how does that work for a movie potentially,
2: or do you what like a movie about four kids or wait, just
0: about a family movie?
2: A family movie? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I got in. I got in trouble today from my son. Uh, I had to look at some. Uh, commercial spots, and I went on my computer. And I was looking at it this morning, and he came over just at the very end, and it said "Rated R." And he went, "Ah, come on!" <laughs> <laughs> I said, it "Doesn't? It's not up to me. It's not up to me. It, it, it's they. They. Well, why did I said they made it? They made it. The, the the Motion Picture Association made it Rated R." He said, "Why?" I said, "There's a couple. There's a couple bad the bad words in it. There's a couple bad words." So which ones? I said the F word and my four year old said fucking asshole? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking <an> asshole. <laughs> Phantom threads rated R? For for fucking asshole. Seriously? For fucking. Um for you can't you can say one fuck, but you can't say two.
0: You're intimately familiar with these. You've a lot of experience with these. I with Boogie Knights you had to take out like forty seconds. That was the difference between NC-17 and I an
2: I don't know if it was 40 seconds, but I know it had to do with humping and talking at the same time. That was my memory of the conversation with the woman from the MPAA. She says, look, we had a scene when Nina Hartley is fucking this guy on the bed. She's sitting on top of him. Bill Macy comes in. She right. says, what are you doing? And I can't remember the dialogue. And we shot it. that She continues to hump up and down. And say the dialogue, and ultimately she became very clear. She said, "Look, you can't. You can have her keep fucking him, but she can't talk, or you can have her stop fucking him and then talk." Did I? Did I just? So you had say to say the, 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 the same thing twice. <laughs> so we had to refilm. We we reshoot it. Um,
0: she was available. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she was available, and she so she's she's humping away. She stops. She says her line of dialogue to him. He closes the door, and then she continues to hump. And we we shopped that, inserted that, and that got us the NC seventeen. It's hard to believe
0: that's what broke the NC seventeen. That little thing. I would have. I, that would not have been my first guess.
2: There were other things along the way, though that had that had been negotiated and taken out already. Yeah, and they were usually just they were usually just trims. Quite honestly, and there it was never anything. I have Not a nerdy writer,
0: nerdy, nerdy writer question. We like Phantom Thread. I have no idea how you even come up with that. And I'm sure it's like the seed of something. But at some point you're staring at, I don't know, a final draft document that's just empty and you have to start to write it. What's your process for that? Do you have an outline or you just are you one of those people that just wings it?
2: Well, I am a, I'm am a winger for sure. At least initially, like, and I don't use Final Draft. Okay. Um, I I I I use. I mean the the all time worst program, which is Microsoft Word. Which to anybody who's ever used it,
0: I like, still use Microsoft. Wow. Word. See? Sean can attest. Great. Yeah, okay. I still have, I have that a ThinkPad. Translated too. Every time you write, I'm something. 22 years with a ThinkPad and Microsoft Word. <laughs> yeah. See, this is our generation. God
1: bless you guys. It, it, <laughs>
0: and
2: it is it is the dumbest. It so doesn't you write make any scripts sense.
0: In Microsoft Word.
2: I do. It's
1: amazing do. that's really weird
2: <laughs> i do it's very strange and it doesn't it doesn't and it drives everybody mad because they eventually have to transfer it over into final draft when we do our schedule and it's a fucking headache and a half but um maybe that allows
0: you to see the stuff. i hate final draft maybe it allows you to see the
2: i don't like final draft better. either i i think it does i mean and i do i think that's a great point um but I always try, to, I don't ever, I try to avoid that moment of like sitting down and looking at a blank piece of paper ever, you know, that kind of, that, you have to put chips in something um, so you never get to that spot. And what I mean is, um, I think that's funny, I, I'm just remembering this, I'm pretty consistently somehow, at the energy after I've finished shooting a film has led me um, you have this false kind of energy i i I've, I've had it a few times now where you don't collapse at the end of it you actually feel like i could do this again and 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 it, what it is is you're stepping back into normal life but you're still sort of firing on all these cylinders right. and a couple times now i've gotten up gone to gone to the coffee maker, sat down and really started to write what I felt I would want to make next, even as vague and bizarre or unclear as it was, it was a story of a man and a woman, a relationship, a this, a that, a this, somehow the dialogue starts coming. Okay, now, days later you are you the the energy that you've been spending making a film and the physical reality of what you've been through you just sort of collapse yeah. but it's really it's happened to me a couple times now where I've gotten a lot of kind it's like of
0: residual energy
2: absolutely so there's like foothold into something that was obviously nagging at me or all this and it happened on this one I think after Inherent Vice um, I started to sort of write a bunch of things down straight away that it, it had occurred to me and that during the course of editing that film, I was daydreaming about what this movie would be and trying to write things down, but not trying to write too much. And I think it was, back to this thing that we talked about before, it was wanting to not get to a mess that I have been in before, which is writing 600 pages. Yeah. And having to bring it down. So I had enough ideas on this where I felt like, daydream and daydream and think about it and turn it over in your mind and write a little bit here and there, but never get to that spot where you've overwritten it or you're, you haven't figured a few things out before you really jump in So to does that mean it.
1: you've started the next thing? I, I have he, an idea. Yeah, I think you just announced it. It's yes. with Adam
0: Sandler. <laughs> it's a family comedy. It's an action-buddy movie family yes.
1: comedy. I
2: have well no what I ha- what I have what I what I will probably try to do next foolishly is go back to that six hundred page thing that I have and try and see if there's anything to carve out of it. But again, I would probably probably I'll start approaching it in the next couple months in the same way that I just described. I think I would probably try to daydream about what I know is in there. Yeah and. And wonder how much I can get away with not looking at it and just write from from what I know that's in there is good. Because when you go back into those 600 pages, it's a briar patch, isn't it, right? You start to see something, well, this is not a bad idea, and maybe I should follow that thread. And the next thing you know, two hours later, you've really pissed the day away, right? Is this
0: in the mornings? You start writing in the mornings?
2: I do. Cup of coffee and you're off? Yeah.
0: You have your own place. Everybody leaves you alone.
2: I do. I have a little barn that I go to uh, on, next to our house. Are but... The kids allowed to come into it. Yeah, they come in. They I... come flying in. Oh yeah, but I, I don't go down there. Not at first. I usually I just stay up in the at the kitchen table. That's my spot right now. But I get up before anybody else gets up so I can get some work done. And then, yeah, it's a great feeling though when they come come walking. Do you have to wake your kids up, or do do they wake up?
0: No, they. they... My son is up before everybody,
2: but you have to wake your daughter we up calm, to We on the CEO; he's in charge. So
0: like you read those stories about Bob Iger, how he gets up at four thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's my son. He's just ready to start the day. He's just as powerful too. He's, he's almost as, as almost as powerful with presence.
2: He's my kind, can I, can I buy stock in him? <laughs> you could.
0: <laughs> so when you did that, when you did Fan uh, Phantom Thread, you start out this idea you have about guy. In the 50s, who's really great at making dresses or making clothes, whatever, and his life is this routine and it's an obsession, that's all he has. And then somebody comes in and uproots it.
2: Boy, I wish it was even that specific. It was more like, and the initial thing was more like man and woman, you know, this kind of thing. Like, you know, not even 1950s? No. I was probably, if anything, trying to stay away from going back to another period piece. I mean, they're such a fucking pain in the, you know, they're chore. The cars, everything, and it's limiting. You know, you can't just run down the street and start shooting. You everything, so that becomes a headache. If anything, I was probably trying to avoid that. But I, you know, you know, when you—I don't know if you do this—but write everything, then you just put a question mark next to it. That kind of lets you off the hook, like man or woman, sister? Question mark? (laughs) You know, then you've you've still got limitless possibilities, but you're writing your ideas down. Um, um,
0: And then when does like Daniel Day Lewis become involved?
2: Soon, soon. Like, um, you know, you shoot you
0: you talk to him on the phone or in person. You're like, yeah, here's the framework of what I'm thinking. Yes. And then he starts mulling it over?
2: Yes. Is exactly. there anybody
0: else you could do that with? Or is he a unique animal?
2: He is unique in that way, and then he'll probably take longer than anybody else does to go over the material. But I would do that with anybody else that I had in mind. Cruz. Cruz. Yeah.
0: You gotta write Cruz's verdict roll. Okay. This is it. That's a challenge. <laughs> That's a good idea. Second phase of cruise. Any other film nerdy question? Yeah, I know you have
1: one. You got one more. I can feel it. Is there anything that you haven't been able to make that you still want to make? Do you have? Have you ever been told no? And and also, is it hard to make movies for you at this point because of what's going on in the industry? Um,
2: it's. I have never written something that I then tried to make that I couldn't get made. Um. It was very hard to get the master made, um, but that ended up being great and worked out exactly right. Um, it depends on what the budget for the movie is, and it depends on who's in it. You know, there I don't have a blank check waiting for me in the next room at all. I think it's who's in it, what's it going to cost, okay. And those are those those are the, the those are the questions that I have to answer. And how long is it? They all want to know how long it is because I got a bad reputation. This one's me. easy though. This one's easy. Yeah.
0: My last question is: What's the greatest thing you've ever seen an actor do? Yeah. You haven't been asked that one. He's going to take his time because it's an important answer. Understandable.
2: Um, phil hoffman in the master that would be the greatest thing i've ever seen an actor do
0: like the entire performance
2: yeah right alongside joaquin phoenix in the master that would be the greatest thing i ever got to watch. do you feel like they
0: elevated each other because it became competitive
2: not competitive at all like like partners in crime well, so I mean and, like that does each, Yes they oh knew the yeah the guy
0: was bringing it so they had to bring it
2: uh, Absolutely absolutely
0: Interesting
1: last question Sean? Last great thing you've seen <sighs> Um
2: you know it's a plug for a really small movie that I really really enjoyed that no one seems to have seen and it's called Tracktown about uh, and I, I should get all the maybe you can help me with the, the info on this because I don't even remember the girl's name. It's about a runner, a girl who's a runner, up in um, where's track? Well, where's Nike? Uh, Oregon, right? Oregon, yes. Yeah, um, and she it's a it's a it, Rachel Dratch has a small part in it. She plays the girl's mom, and I think the girl is even the co-director of it. I see you over there typing on that computer. Do you have info that we I'll can? Pappas? Lexi Pappas. She does this fantastic performance as uh, a runner Is in it the stream Streaming? Film. I I don't know. I saw it um, on an airplane a couple weeks ago, and I I I I love uh, watching people run track. I love watching, I love watching girls run track in particular. I mean, I just um, and this this kind of yeah. She's got It's a great performance. Are you with Limits film.
0: or Prefontaine? i only one answer to this.
2: Without limits. Yeah.
0: Superior. up. It's a great movie.
2: It's Robert Town.
1: Without limits is, I think. Do you disagree? No, I'm a Robert Town person. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Without limits is rising the rankings of the sports movie thing because some of the sports movie, like the greatest of all time, some of them are now dated, so what, they start what, falling what, down.
2: What are the? What are? What well, are those? Th-
0: so 15 years ago. It was Hoosiers or the Natural. That was the argument. Okay, yeah. It was one of those two. It had to be one of those two. And you could, I'd accept arguments for both, ultimately mm-hmm. say Hoosiers. I think as the time has passed, I don't, I don't think either people would have either of them in. And I think, I don't even know what the answer is now. I mean, you might have to go all the way back to Rocky now. I think Rocky's like regained because it was so influential. It's slow is the only problem. Rocky's slow? Rocky's slow.
2: Uh, Rocky's
0: slow. They, it could use like I know it's you're not allowed to touch the past of movies, but could you, it could use a boost it could use i some believe caffeine. I
2: believe that I mean I think everything has a different pace, but I'm surprised to hear that actually but um you know what film I thought about the other day that I haven't seen since it came out was eight men out was that was that yeah. any good? I don't remember oh, yeah yeah
1: it was John, Sayles John Sayles. Did it, I remember um isn't it isn't it uh Robert Ellswood? Or is no. It no, Richardson. It, no, no, it's Haskell
0: with, Wessler. I watched. it with John, oh, okay. I watched it with my son because my son is. It could have been Bob Richardson. I think actually, it's Richardson. Yeah. My son's ripping through every baseball movie, so we watched that one. It's it's kind of timeless because it's set in the past, and that thing was crazy, and it and it's not it's not really dated because it was already dated when they made it.
2: And how's Major League hold up? Well, Major League's the the, the king. Major League is pretty well, actually, great.
0: Major League's the prince. For my son, uh, Sandlot is the king.
2: Yeah, I've never seen Sandlot. The Sandlot. Is the most important, It's <laughs> more, yeah, more, yeah. more more than the Bad News Bears.
0: Yeah, Bad News Bears is a little dated, but Bad News Bears has good swear words in it that you that when you're eight, it's like you can't believe that. Bad Tanner News said Bears this. has,
2: I mean, that you know when he throws the beer in her face,
0: oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff. That's like is that age. Some of the stuff has not aged well. Oh. But Bad News Bears in Vic, and Vic. News Bears. How about Vic Morrow?
2: In, uh, oh, that's the Tony Curtis one, right? When they go to no, Japan. No, that was Japan.
0: Bad oh, News Bears oh. break and chain and they steal. the They drive to the Astrodome. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that one's held up nicely. <laughs> <laughs> William Devane is the dad. That's William Devane. That's yeah. right. <laughs> it's a good one. They have the yeah. let them play Astrodome. Astrodome <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> that's I weird. just remember. Um, what's his name um, not Linus but uh, you know the kid who's beating up everybody Tanner uh, Tanner Tanner. Yeah. I remember Tanner looking up doesn't the camera kind of go yeah. like that and spin around <laughs> yeah it's good they, the
0: late 70s was like a nice little glory run of sports movies like basically the rocky momentum led to all these the uh, boon, like the fast break fast break were over there, fast fish break. that save Pittsburgh fish who save Pittsburgh Slapshot. shot like it just yeah. they, every genre kinda it's had the fish
2: that save yeah, Pittsburgh classic whoa whoa um
0: <laughs> When's your when'd your movie officially come out?
2: It comes out Christmas Day in New York and Los Angeles, and January twelfth, other places in America. Okay,
0: I think we're holding this podcast until
2: until then. so anything. the world can see yeah. it. It was
0: an awesome movie, though. I really, I really enjoyed it. And, yeah, congrats. Uh, I really hope Daniel Day Lewis doesn't retire. You got to talk him out of that.
2: I'll give him a little time, and then maybe I'll try and talk him out of it.
0: We don't. Are we hundred percent sure he's going to retire? I can't imagine just stopping doing that when he's that good at it.
2: I can't either, but it's not up to me. And I, but I could see it. I could see this oh, it's sticking. I feel like actors are,
0: are like boxers, where they almost have to not be good once to really officially retire. That it's right. hard to. It's so hard to leave when you're at the top. What great athlete has done that, you know? And same thing with actors. That's it's not going to
1: be the issue on this one. What do you mean? He's the nobody's going to be like he's he's cooked. He should step away, right?
2: No, but I, I'm. I'm is, are there, is there an athlete who has ever done that? Jim Brown. Uh huh. Jordan
0: did it, but then he came back. Usually, like the the pride and the ego makes him come back, but in his case, he really seems like he's like he's done. Like he's doesn't want to. The it's too grueling for him, or something, or he feels like he's done everything for know. Daniel. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but. It's just kind of has there been another actor who just walked away when they still had their fastball?
1: Not like this, that I know of. Not that I can think of.
2: Ron Howard. <laughs> 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 Ron Howard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> uh, this is a pleasure. Thank you.
2: Great, Bill. Thanks. Thank you, thanks for, for having me. See. Yeah, Thank you, Paul. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks so much to Paul and Sean. Thanks to Simply Safe. No better time to get home security than right now for the holidays, my friends at Simply Safe are giving you, my listeners, an absolutely incredible offer. Save $200 on a special security package, handpicked by me. Entry sensors, motion sensors, glass break sensor, glass brake sensors. It's got everything. Go to SimplySafeBS.com. That is SimplySafe with two I's. SimplySafeBS.com. Hurry. Offer ends January 2nd. Thanks to SeatGeek. Don't forget NBA tickets for first timers on SeatGeek. off we are coming back with another BS podcast this week because Mike Francesa wants to keep making NFL picks I had such a good time last week with him we're doing it again so look forward to that one until then